This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Between the time that you and I last spoke and now, how has the information war been treating you? Um, you know, I'm just busy. I work. I'm a scientist. I'm part of a team of scientists and I just work away and try to do what I think is most important at the time and where my talents can really be used to achieve that. So I just try to optimize my work and I just go, go, go. And that's, I'm, I'm like one of those uh, ever ready bunnies or something, you know, I've got a battery and I just keep going. So um, that's, that's, so I've been fine. I've been great. Um, I've personally been very well as, as well, you know, family wise and everything. Uh, but no, I just keep at it. And recently, I really looked at the question of can we quantify vaccine deaths from all cause mortality? And that's really been the big new component of my scientific work. I'm not quite sure where to start. So I'm going to ask you to, to lead me in this one. Sure. So um, way back in uh, early April uh, 2020, I wrote my first paper in the COVID saga, and it was entitled Masks Don't Work. I did a review of all the randomized control trials at the time and concluded that any reasonable person has to conclude there's not, not a chance in hell that these masks can be of any utility and there's unknown harms related to them. So please just know that. And uh, that was read 400,000 times uh, on the internet, reposted and then deplatformed from ResearchGate and so on. But that was my initiation into the science of COVID related things. But right away, uh, within a month or so after that, I wrote another paper, which was more important and more my own research, which was about all-cause mortality. And in that paper, which uh, came out, I've got a list here. It came out, by the way, I've written 32 papers on COVID-related science and so on. Uh, and this was, this was the third one. It came out in, on the 2nd of June, 2020, and it was entitled All-Cause Mortality During COVID-19, no plague and a likely signature of mass homicide by government response. And that's one that you interviewed me on. That was our first interview. Okay? And that's the big one. It's, it's a big one instead in, in, in terms conceptually, it's the one that if people who are reading it, who are trying to understand ideas will, will understand that this was not compatible with a pandemic. There's no way that these signatures and mortality could be understood in terms of a pandemic. They were directly due to hotspots people being killed in hospitals by the protocols immediately after the World Health Organization announced its pandemic, right? And we've proven that over and over again. And we're, we're writing yet another paper on this now where we can actually map exactly where the hotspots were, uh, that, that where the, these deaths were all coincident and were directly related to uh, uh, the, the treatment of elderly people, basically fragile people in hospitals and institutions. Okay. So that was really early on, and uh, we made our mark that way, but we just kept at it. And so um, it's now, we, we were able to prove, as, as much as anything can be proved, that there was no pandemic, that all the deaths in the United States and elsewhere were due to the response, uh, the assault against people. There is a very high correlation, and I mean that in a technical sense, to poverty. So it's elderly elderly 
poor people and also institutionalized people, disabled people, they were the ones that were killed by COVID. They're also the ones that are killed by the vaccines, okay? So uh, that's kind of like going back to, you know, some of my first papers. But then very recently, we, we, we asked the question, well, now the, 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 the vaccine campaign has been rolled out, you know, in many, many places in the world. Did that have an impact on mortality? And in our first paper on this question, which was looking at the United States, we concluded that there is no evidence that a single person was saved by this huge vaccine rollout. In other words, in the United States, uh, deaths were associated to the assaults against people, uh, you know, removing their lives, isolating them, the psychological stress, you name it. There was a level, a high level of regime of high mortality in the United States that was just maintained and unperturbed by the fact that you had this military style rollout of the vaccine. So that was our conclusion for the US that the, the, the vaccines have not prevented any deaths whatsoever. And we, but we also found clear evidence that it was inducing deaths among certain groups. And we wrote about that in our large paper about the USA, which, is, which was the, the subject of our third interview together, where we really insisted that there had been no pandemic, right? And that you could prove this by looking at the correlation. Yeah. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I just want to interject and just reiterate the importance of all-cause data. Yes, that's right. So we're, we're relying on uh, the most robust data that you can have, which is simply counting deaths. Uh, you know, where, where did the death occur? How old was the person that died? Uh, nothing to do with what they died from. We're just counting the deaths. When did they die? How old were they? What sex were they? And so on. Some kind of basic information like that as a function of time. So you can look at the total deaths in a given jurisdiction like a state of the United States or the whole United States as a function of time, like per week, how many people died. So you get this uh, incredible graph uh, in time where you have uh, peaks in the winter because mortality is generally higher. It's very seasonal, generally higher in the winter in the northern latitudes and in the summer. You get these summer troughs, you get this regular pattern that we've known for over 100 years. And then COVID happens and you get uh, a heightened level of mortality. So you, you enter a new regime of mortality. You have this first COVID peak right after the pandemic is announced, which is disastrous, and it's, it's due to this very aggressive uh, medical treatments and so on. And then, um, and then you stay high, and, and so you're in a new regime. And some, some countries had only this COVID peak and then went back down and didn't, didn't have a new regime of heightened mortality. Some countries didn't have the COVID peak whatsoever, a peak that occurred right after the pandemic was announced. So there's a lot of difference from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And, um, and th this is what we study. So it's all cause mortality. It's robust data. You, you don't have to interpret what the person died of. You just look at, look, here are the deaths and, and we're sure of that. Okay, so uh, that's right. Uh, thanks for insisting on that. So what we, we then what we did recently, we said, well, look, there's been a rollout rollouts of these vaccines and, and several doses of them and boosters and so on. And they very, very high degrees of vaccination in the populations and so on. Can we see deaths that arise in the all cause mortality data that are directly can be directly linked to that vaccine rollout because the, the rollouts happen military style very quickly. So if you're immediately causing deaths, because we know from the VARS data, 
from the from the um, following the adverse response, we know that the deaths occur in the first three or four or five days after injection. And then you get a, a, a decay in time that lasts about two months. So you can have months, you can have deaths two months after the injections, clearly from the VARS data. Okay, so we know that. And so we're looking for a signal like that in the all-cause mortality that is coincident with the vaccine rollouts. That was the idea that, that I had. That was the hypothesis that I, that I had when I started looking for data of that type. We had seen evidence of that in the U.S., as I said, but I was, you know, my feelers are always out. And all of a sudden, I saw these papers come out about India, where four independent research groups said, here's what happened in India. Look at the mortality as a function of time in India. Um, nothing happened after the COVID uh, pandemic was announced, nothing whatsoever happened. And all of a sudden now, and it was in April to July, 2021, there's a huge, I mean, huge peak in all-cause mortality in India, all right? So what the heck's going on? They didn't, the researchers did not propose an explanation as to what was happening, other than presuming that it was all due to COVID, right? But when I looked at their data and saw these peaks, I said, wait a minute, that's exactly coincident with the military vaccine rollout that India put out, which was later than in other countries, and nothing happened until they did that. And then when they turned on vaccination, you had this huge surge in all-cause mortality. And I said, I'm sorry, but I, I do not believe that's an accident. That's a heck of a coincidence, okay, if it is a coincidence. So I wrote a paper about that, and it was entitled... Uh, probable causes, causal association between India's extraordinary April to July 2021 excess mortality event and the vaccine rollout. And I argued strenuously that this had to be due to the vaccine and calculated that as a result of the more than 300 million doses of the vaccine that were delivered in that period, um, uh, 3.7 million people died directly from the vaccine. That was my conclusion for this paper. So I showed that there was a, basically on a per dose basis, there was a 1% chance that the person injected would die in India. So all of these articles are on my website, uh, denisroncourt.ca. So denisroncourt, one word, Denis is like Dennis, but with one N, denisroncourt.ca. And then you go to the COVID section and you can find 32 articles about COVID mm. science and so on. And these are the recent ones we're talking about now. So, um, so there you go. Um, so. So um, in India, therefore, what I, when, I, when I researched how they rolled out, um, it turns out they were extremely aggressive and they specifically went after the most elderly and those who had comorbidity conditions. In India, they even had, uh, the government had a list of 12 comorbidities that they especially were looking for to vaccinate you. And they had something that they themselves called, that the president called it the vaccine festival and they encouraged everyone to go and get their elderly and their sick and the people with comorbidities and pull them out of wherever they were and get them vaccinated. And they, 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 they said, you know, it's a national project. We need to do this right away. And so they really went after the frail and the elderly and it killed them. So 3.7 million deaths in India, as I said, a 1% risk per injection, which is massively high, right? Um, and it's because of the way that they did it. They just non-discriminately 
went after frail elderly and people with, who were already very sick with comorbidities all right and then and and they killed people in that way so that was the first demonstration for us because we saw a very definite huge rise in this is the important thing a huge rise in mortality that's exactly coincident with the vaccine rollout in a country where nothing can be seen there's no anomaly in mortality until you do that so none of the covid matters none of what the world health organization is saying matters there's no evidence of uh, a virulent pathogen in india until you roll out the vaccine and i said this just cannot be a coincidence now it turns out that the four papers that i used you see i have to base myself on the literature because india doesn't put out all-cause mortality in in, in at an at the national level quickly and high quality like like western countries do so researchers have to go in and get hospital records by county uh, by state and do everything they can to get the best possible data and then they report on it okay so that's what these four research groups had done and they all found the same peak in mortality occurring at the same time whether it was by city or in different regions and so on all right so that was the basis of my data um, but none of them said what it was due to, except there was always this underlying presumption that, well, it's during the COVID period, so it must be due to COVID. And then one separate distinct paper who looked at uh, mortality in, 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 in the capital city argued that it was due to the Delta variant arising, that there was this peak. So in my paper about India, I countered that argument. I said, this is, this is ridiculous. The, it, it's so tenuous that there was a Delta variant and that you actually measured it and that you can say that it was present in this way. In fact, in the paper that argued this, they deduced the qualities, the virulence of the Delta variant by fitting the virulence to the all-cause mortality data. In other words, they're inventing a variant that would cause this degree of mortality and saying what? there it occurred. Yes, yes. And so the, the 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 article you have to read these articles to to appreciate the the degree of uh, machinations that they do to 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 tell their stories. So I spelled this out in my critique of that paper about the Delta variant in India. Okay, so that was my paper about India. Very shortly after that, in the same month, so that was sixth of December, twenty twenty two, and very shortly after that. Um, we had put together uh, an article which was very similar about Australia. All right. So Australia, we looked at all the we looked at all cause mortality data for many many countries across the world in um, in collections that exist. For example, with the with the United Nations and so on. And we saw Australia just was screaming out at us to be analyzed because Australia is yet another place where absolutely nothing happened until they rolled out the vaccine. Okay, so here you have this place where even just after they announced uh, the pandemic, there was nothing special happening. Nothing happened. It was just the, the usual seasonal variation of all-cause mortality. Then they roll out the vaccine and you jump to a, much, uh, a regime of much higher mortality. And not only that, but then when they roll out the successive doses, you can actually see peaks specifically associated one peak in particular, specifically associated with that third dose coming out, for example. It is just stunning. And that peak that came out in Australia was in their low season of mortality, where you normally never have a peak. Historically, you've never had one. But here they roll out uh, an injection, 
and it creates a peak right where normally there wouldn't be one. And so we thought, here we go. The, these are not coincidences. This is, you know, you, you're entering a whole new domain of mortality. You've got peaks that are directly associated with vaccine rollouts. And we superposed the bi-week number of injections that were given in that third dose to the actual mortality that was occurring on a bi-week basis. And we got this perfect match where just after the vaccine started, you had this surge in mortality and the, and, the, and the peak lasted as long as you were vaccinating with that dose. And we saw this in every separate state of Australia. There's what, eight states in Australia? Each one has this phenomenon. Every time it rolled out this, this dose in a period of low mortality season, you had this peak in mortality. This is not an accident, right? Do you notice any difference between the first shot, second shot, third shot, and so on? Yes. Uh, that is our upcoming paper. We haven't written about it yet, but we're, we've quantified the toxicity of the vaccine on a per-dose basis. And we're generally finding across, across the board that the successively higher doses appear to be more toxic than the first doses. Wow. And we have quantitative numbers for that. But, but an even bigger effect than the uh, dose number to dose number toxicity is the age ver is the age dependence of the toxicity okay that's a much bigger effect it's, it's exponential so that was that was our next paper where we looked at age stratified uh vaccine dose fatality rates and um so i think i'd i'd pretty much finished telling you about australia but australia is just just a stunning case because you have these different states and they all have this peak associated with their own rollout that exactly it's exactly coincident with it you know, it's just just be just after you roll out, you start having the deaths right away, and it lasts as long as you're rolling out that that vaccine dose in a period where normally you would not have excess all-cause mortality from the seasonal pattern that's historic, that's well known. Okay, so that was just again stunning. And in that paper about Australia, I'm talking about the 20th of December 2022 paper, we then went back and compared what we were finding to what we had seen in the United States, what we saw in uh, Ontario, Canada what we saw in certain states of the United States, uh, Michigan, and the, the southern states, what, what, what we found, which we had already quantified, but we looked at it and insisted on it again, turns out the southern states of the United States, where there's a lot of poverty, they did something called vaccine equity, where they did an extra rollout of vaccines in midsummer, where normally you would not have excess all-cause mortality. So you see, a surge on the surge of vaccination where they went and got these people that were uh, for, uh, harder to get or further away and they just hired thousands of people to do this who were, I presume, not, not as well trained and so on. Well, that caused a peak of deaths in the summer that can be quantified for the United States in the poor states. It's systematic, it's everywhere, it's huge, especially in the high age groups. And, um, and it corresponds to the same level of toxicity that was found in India. So a 1% risk of dying. So if you were part of the frail and fragile people that were being vaccinated in this so-called vaccine equity campaigns in the United States, and you were in a poor state where there are more of these frail people, uh, you know, there's 13 million mentally disabled people who are on heavy medication in the United States, institutionalized and so on. You go and vaccinate them, you've isolated them, et cetera, you kill them. Right. So um, 
so we made the link between India and the US. So the southern states of the US and the way they were vaccinated, it, you got the same effect as in India, where they went after the frail uh, people with comorbidities. So that that's all in our paper about Australia, okay? And so what what we did in our I I, I don't want to I, I want to stay on this paper because we there was so many important things in that paper. So we quantified that for Australia, the vaccine dose fatality rate, that is the probability that you die on a per injection basis for all ages together, not discriminating by age, is 0.05%, okay? Um, so we thought, okay, we got 1% in India, we got 0.05% in Australia, a Western country where they're more careful and they have more clinical uh, uh, surveillance of who they vaccinate and so on. Um, and it's a different vaccine also, but we thought for the world, what would be the best average uh, um, vaccine dose fatality rate? And we estimated that it would be about 0.1%. We applied that to the number of doses that have been given globally, and we predicted that this would mean that about 13 million people would have been killed by the vaccine up till now in the world globally. 13 million? Yes. Yes. Globally in the world. Now, you have to understand that e even in the United States, if you apply just the same vaccine dose fatality ratio that we measured for Australia, assume that the US is the same, 0.05%. In the United States, you get 330 million people that were killed by the vaccine, okay, in the, during the rollout. That is a number which is essentially the same as what uh, Mark Skidmore found in his uh, published uh, study based on surveys of people. Do you know anyone close who has died from the vaccine and so on? So we got the same number. Now, that number in the United States is not that large compared to the total number of people that were killed in the COVID period, which is 1.2, million people in the United States, right? So, but it's still a very large number. Uh, the US has a high mortality rate during COVID because of the nature of the assault and how fragile the population is. Nonetheless, 330,000 people would have been killed in the US. That's that's our that's our best estimate and overall. Now the reason you don't see so that what this corresponds to is one person per thousand people in the U.S. died of the vaccine in this period. Okay, Gee. so you don't the notice it because they're elderly and frail, and you you it, it's normal to think of them dying anyways, right? And you don't notice it because the, mel the medical establishment is very allergic to, to uh, suggesting that the death could be due to the vaccine, even if it's happening within hours or days of the vaccination. You don't notice it because the whole system is geared towards not admitting anything other than these vaccines save lives. So, and, and, and you're only affecting people who are not that visible generally speaking you see that the number of athletes that die following vaccination or that have serious heart complications and so on that's a very small number compared to the numbers i'm talking about and even and but it's more visible because you don't expect those healthy people to be dying or to be or to be collapsing or anything like that so it's more visible 
But the, the large numbers I'm talking about are generally not visible. They're in care homes, they're in institutions, and they're elderly people that, that have been largely abandoned and isolated and that the, you know, no, nobody's going to be performing autopsies. Nobody's going to be doing anything and they just die. All right. So um, that's, that's what we discovered in that paper about Australia et al. And, you know, when we, when we, when we think about the rest of the world, then we moved on our most recent paper now is a paper where we do age stratified evaluations of this vaccine toxicity. And that's the one that we put out on the 9th of February of this year, 2023. And it's entitled Age Stratified COVID-19 Vaccine Dose Fatality Rate for Israel and Australia. And that is, we, we found two jurisdictions, Israel and Australia that were particularly good, had really good data. It had good data of mortality by age group, but also a vaccination the number of doses by age group. So you could actually do vaccine toxicity by age group in these two countries. And there, we also chose these two countries because they're both examples of nothing happened until you rolled out the vaccine. Virtually nothing happened in terms of the mortality. So you have the usual seasonal, um, seasonal uh, dependence of the mortality. In Australia, it's in the Southern hemisphere. So their winter is our summer is when you have the high mortality. You have the usual seasonal variations. And um, in Israel and Australia, until you roll out the vaccine, and then you enter this whole new regime and you've got peaks associated with the various doses. You've got all this stuff happening right away when they rolled out the vaccine. It's very visible in Israel and Australia and many other places. Since then, I'll, I'll give you a list of countries where we've done this now. We see the same thing everywhere. Um, I'll do that a little later, but right now, the, the important thing is, we now have the data to look at this vaccine toxicity by age. So we did it. And what we found was the risk of dying from the vaccine increases exponentially with your age. And the doubling time is about five years. So every five year of age more that you are, your risk of dying per injection doubles. And, and is this and, is this on a, is this on a linear scale, like from age one to ninety? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Is um, the the exponential is is uh, very very clear and very precise for the older ages, and then when you get into the younger ages, what we find is that the exponential is no longer followed for the younger adults. In fact, the younger adults die more than this exponential would predict. So there's kind of a base level of death per injection, more or less independent of age for young adults and, and adolescents and so on. And then you get into this exponential regime where by age, it rises exponentially. So what, what we found is that the most elderly people in Australia and Israel let's say 85 and over, were dying with the same risk as the people who had died in India when they went after those people. So 1%, it, it rised to almost 1% uh, risk per injection. So that's, that's the exponential nature of this uh, fatality uh, rate. Um, and that was a fundamental discovery. And what we found is that we got exactly the same overall all ages value for the fatality dose 
fatality uh, uh, rate for India and Australia, and the same exponential for the two. So we put them on the same graph. You get you really see the same curves of this exponential rise. They're they're one on top of the other. So we're getting exactly the same phenomenon in Australia and Israel. So then we thought, okay, let's just keep doing this. All right. We thought there are there are jurisdictions where it's complicated to do like the united states because everybody's dying from everything that they're doing to people you know like it's just horrible it's a killing field uh in terms of of how they uh treated people so there's there's huge pools of very fragile people in the united states compared to other western countries so we can't we can't really easily discern things except when there are specific peaks that really match up but let's try and find all the countries where we can do this with confidence. And we found a whole bunch. We've, so, so, so far, we have calculated this uh, vaccine dose fatality rate for Australia, Canada, Germany, India, I already mentioned, Israel, New Zealand, and now we're working on Chile. Now, Chile is one of these complicated jurisdictions like the US, but nonetheless, it has these peaks that really come out of the of the woodwork at times when there should not be extra mortality. So we're able to quantify it in Chile as well, which is the paper we're working on now. Um, and we'll be putting out all those other countries I mentioned very soon as well together in one paper. So what we find are uh, non-age stratified uh, vaccine dose fatality rates are always about the same time, uh, about the same kind of number. So 0 0.05 in Australia, like I said, in Canada, it's a little lower, 0.03%. Uh, in Germany, it's 0.06%. Uh, Israel, 0.05%. New Zealand, 0.03%. So it's always, you know, when you take all ages into account in a in a, a modern state, you always get those kinds of numbers. All right. And then we can do by dose, and we see that by dose up to the fourth dose, those numbers are increasing systematically. And so we'll be putting that in our next paper. That, in a nutshell, is what I've been up to. And that's that's the kind of results we've been finding. So in conclusion, um, all-cause mortality is an extremely powerful data set. It's by time, by age group, by sex, by jurisdiction. And it allows us to conclude, without a doubt, that there is no evidence of a pandemic, in other words, a virulent disease that is spreading uh, uh, person to person. There's no evidence of that. All the evidence is contrary to that hypothesis. All right, first thing. Um, for example, mortality did not cross the US-Canada border. There's 1.3 million extra deaths in the US. And until you start vaccinating, virtually no excess mortality in Canada across that border. So. This is, this is a virus, if it caused these deaths, that recognizes boundaries, borders between countries, that knows to only attack uh, uh, frail people, elderly people, okay? Uh, it knows to, uh, well, not, not even so much. It's, it, it is more sensitive to poverty. If you're poor, the virus knows and it's really gonna kill you. Okay, so those are things we found. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but yet, ironically, ar ironically, it's also a very racist virus because it completely skipped Africa. Yes, yes, it completely <laughs> skipped Africa. Uh, uh, it would seem. Uh, I, I would like to have really good quality all-cause mortality data for every 
every country on every continent. It's, it's difficult to have. There, there are regions where you just cannot get it. But we're, 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 we're doing everything we can to actually make world maps of where mortality occurred and in terms of vaccination status and so on. Um, but where was I? So all-cause mortality allows you to conclude that there was no virulent pathogen that came onto the planet and caused these deaths. Um, the deaths were caused by all kinds of mechanisms that we have explained in combination with the fact that the people who normally get respiratory infections were not given antibiotics. All right. You have to, you, you'll recall from my work that I've been saying this over and over again, in all the Western countries, they cut antibiotic prescriptions in half, in half at the same time that there were more respiratory illnesses that people who normally get antibiotics in in the winter season were not getting them, were not being treated. This is part of what happened in the US and in many in many Western countries. So the when I say that they assaulted people, I would include refusing to treat them as well as part of the assault, you know. Um, so that's the first conclusion. And then you look at the vaccine rollouts and you have to admit that the vaccines are killing people. There is no way that these peaks in mortality that are always coincident with the rollouts of the of the various doses of the vaccines uh, in every jurisdiction where they were doing this is an accident. And you know, they in one paper argued that in India it was the Delta variant, and I explained the ridiculousness of that argument where they were adjusting the the virulence of the Delta variants in order to get the right mortality rather than uh, doing an ab initio determination of its virulence. Okay, in guess what? In Australia, the people who've, the, the government has commented, yeah, there are more deaths now. Um, it, it must be Omicron. <laughs> so in Australia, it would have been Omicron, just, you know, just pulling it out of a hat like that. And, you know, you have to look at how they determine these, the prevalence of these, of these variants. Uh, uh, it's 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 voodoo science. I mean, it's just it's computers and you know, a very very small samples of uh, using meaningless tests uh, that uh, you see what you want to see, and then you make a computer graph extrapolation of when the variant when the variant came into being. And the, the, every time I've looked at one of these papers, I'm just like, what the heck? You know, I'm just pulling my hair out. It's the opposite of the kind of data that is all cause mortality data. It's fabricated, uh, extrapolated data based on very questionable and, and not authenticated tests, molecular tests. So the, the whole variant story is something that uh, if, if science were really evolving like it should, it should be completely undone and just completely thrown into the trash bin and say, and we should conclude that we'll never do that again. We'll have, we have to get better at this, you know? What's scary, Denis, is you're talking only about mortality, in other words, deaths, and you mentioned 13 million. What about injuries? Absolutely. Absolutely. We cannot know about injuries. We only know about the injuries that, that within a reasonable time after vaccination have caused the death, that, that it gives a, a number that you can quantify but the injuries uh, must be massive. So this is what is, this is the pushback. This is what is, um, is one of the things that might save us is the fact that there are so many deaths and injuries 
and the people, a lot of people are are making the relationship to the to having been injected, whether it's a close personal uh, family member or or themselves if they're injured. Um, a lot of people are making the connection, and it's a visceral connection. You know it. It's, it happened to you, your body, or someone close to you. Um, those people are beca- are the resistance. Those people are the core of the resistance. They're the ones that know that they've been assaulted and that this is something horrible has happened and someone the government has lied to them the government and the medical establishment has lied to them and they are forming the core of the resistance this is the kind of resistance that you get with vaccination generally Uh, parents who have vaccine injured children are the ones who become members of the uh, various uh, campaigns against overall blanket vaccination you know I don't know how many vaccines of to how many pathogens they vaccinate these very young infants to many of them die uh and the parents are devastated and many of the parents are in denial but many other parents are convinced because they were observing their child they they knew their child and they saw what happened immediately following the vaccination and and um so when you get convinced by this kind of direct experience you become a hardened uh, person in terms of your opinion that this was not a good thing, that there, 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 was, there was a risk here that they didn't tell you about, that there was a danger here that you should not have been subjected to. And so this, this I think, is the basis for the resistance against this medical mafia. And uh, thank God for these people. And thank God that they're brave enough to continue to speak out and to organize and to insist on uh, uh, better, better assurances of safety and everything that they do. Thank God for these people, right? I'm thinking of, uh, of the uh, Children's Health Defense in the United States and associations like that. There's, there's the uh, uh, vac- Vaccine Choice Canada is another one in Canada and so on. These are needed and they are anchored in parents who have vaccine-injured children. And there's a lot of them. I've come to the conclusion that uh, social animals, including humans, always organize. The word social implies that they always organize into dominance hierarchies. Okay. And so um, there have to be mechanisms which are selected in evolution to allow and strengthen that dominance hierarchy. And one of the mechanisms I have proposed in my book, which I wrote in 2013, is that and it's now really well known and well established, the immune system is weakened by your experience psychological stress. And most of that uh, very uh, harsh psychological stress comes from the assaults related to the dominance hierarchy. So in an animal society, the dominant individuals will randomly assault the subordinates just to make it clear to them what their place is and to maintain that dominance hierarchy. And those random assaults, and they're intended to be random, and they're intended to be irrational because their only purpose is to convince the subordinate that they have to be subordinate. That stress from those random assaults and those irrational assaults uh, is one of the is the biggest uh, determinant of the individual's health and whether they will live for a long time and how how often they'll be sick and how sick they will be. So, the your position in the dominance hierarchy is is the number one factor and the mechanism that has been found by animal researchers is that 
the stress directly uh, depreciates your immune system. Uh, and so that means in humans, that'll mean you're more likely to have uh, heart attacks, cancer, you name it, right? The, um, uh, virtually everything. Uh, you're more likely to die. You're more likely to be sick. And this ties in to the very important work of a Professor Sheldon Cohen, uh, the American who spent decades studying uh, uh, respiratory diseases and found that when he was in purposefully trying to infect university students in the 70s with influenza, strains of influenza that he believed he had, he was purposely trying to infect them. What he found conclusively was that the people, the, the young people who were most likely to be sick, it depended on the psychological stress that they were experiencing in their life. That was the number one factor. That was the number one factor. And, and it also determined how sick they were going to be if they were going to get sick. Okay. And the second factor, which he determined, and he's written several papers about this, is the degree to which the individual was socially isolated. So were you part of a supportive community or were you socially isolated? Those are the two dominant things related to respiratory, so-called viral respiratory diseases. Okay. Without a doubt, you didn't need to do a randomized control trial to establish this. His work is conclusive on the on this point. And this ties into the now modern, the more modern knowledge of the degree to which the immune system is affected by experienced stress. All right. And um, stress is way more debilitating if you're older. That the, the debilitation from stress rises exponentially with, with age, you know, roughly. And uh, so all of this ties together in this way. So what I'm trying to say is um, dominance hierarchies are here to stay. They are the organizational basis of our societies. Now, humans have found a way to uh, regulate these dominance hierarchies so that they are more stratified, so that you don't have just a whole bunch of sick individuals at the bottom and a very top elite but it's more stratified because a more stratified dominance hierarchy is, is uh, stronger. It's more competitive against other, other societies, okay? It's more able to, uh, to uh, protect itself against the, the, the assaults from nature, et cetera, et cetera. The more stratified it is, the stronger the society. So humans have looked for ways to stratify that dominance hierarchy. And, and the, the societies have, who have gone all the way towards a very totalitarian system or one that's based, basically based on slavery, which have, have always more or less collapsed because mm -hmm. other societies come in and compete against them and, and so on. So, so there, is, there is a place where you want to be where it's reasonable. And the way that we have uh, constructed that is with our legal system that's where the concept of human rights and personal and individual rights come from. If you construct a, a system where the individual has rights, then the individual is, is the pushback against uh, uh, an exaggeration or an ex, uh, 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 you know, over-the-top exploitation of people. And therefore, it maintains uh, strata in that dominance hierarchy. Okay, So um, that's why it's important to keep fine-tuning the laws uh you know you it, it, when you have laws you want the punishment to be fair you want it to appear fair and you don't want to be 
such a disproportionate punishment when you break the rules that you know that the system breaks apart so there's there's two things there's two parameters that are important and and now i'm citing from physics theoretical physics research there's a theoretical physicist who with his supervisor when he wrote his phd wrote an article about this he he looked at the stability of dominance hierarchies in animal systems and found that there were two control parameters he found that the, the the dominance hierarchy established itself based on these interactions between individuals and associations and systems and so on. And that interaction, there were two parameters. One is how authoritarian the system was, meaning if the if one of the opponents was already had a higher status, was stronger, does that mean that they're virtually guaranteed to win the fight? If yes, it's a very authoritarian system. And then how violent is the system? When you lose the fight, how big is the punishment? So if you go to a very authoritarian system that is very violent, you're putting yourself in a place in the face space where the society is going to quickly uh, uh, degrade to an extreme totalitarian system. And if you go to a place where those parameters are not so bad, you can maintain what we call democracy for a long time. It's very stable in time. And they showed this theoretically. And so that has become my understanding of political systems. That has become my understanding uh, historically of how societies have maintained themselves and constructed themselves and why they have failed at times and how. And so what this means is the elite who are always trying to change the rules to their advantage, uh, the impact or their ability to do that can be such that it destroys society itself because they can be pushing those parameters into a place where you're now going to have almost a free fall into totalitarianism. So you cannot, there cannot be these parasitic elites that change the rules, uh, you know, that are to their advantage without any regard for the stability of society. And when, when that happens, when you, when you corrupt the courts and when you corrupt government in that way, you're going straight to totalitarian system. That's, it's that simple. Um, in terms of how that translates for your person, yeah, avoid toxic bosses and people that uh, uh, randomly aggress you and, uh, you know, get, get away from those environments and uh, f- find a community that will support you. Don't be isolated. Don't be uh, uh, and, and find ways. One of the best ways to uh, manage stress, I think, is cognitive psychology. If you mm. can visualize it, talk about it with people, visualize it, understand it. If you can bring it through to your understanding, already that helps you a lot. So I think cognitive psychology is very powerful, and then that will that will strengthen your immune system. That will that will that will put you in a place where you're less likely to get sick. As you as you initially said, there was no evidence of viral pandemic, right? Then then the vaccine came, so-called vaccine came out. Obviously this wasn't vaccinating against anything in that case, which then automatically makes me ask the question, what the hell was going on and why the hardcore push for it? Was this by design or by emergence, do you think? 
Oh, clearly. Well, okay, now we're getting into another uh, theoretical discussion. Well, it's it's not theoretical. You can, that's not my area of research, but I certainly have ideas about it. And I certainly read like everybody else tries to read about these things. And I would conclude that, that there is no doubt that this vaccination campaign was planned and executed and was essentially a, a military operation. Uh, military and intelligence operation, uh, there is a huge advantage for an empire uh, to, if if they're able to inject uh, everyone with whatever they want, whenever they want, by declaring an emergency, uh, those that that's a very powerful thing to be able to do. So you can that means that you can uh, destroy the uh the enemies of the system in, in your eyes right you 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 can you can target people because you know what lots are going where um you can target people if you can if you have the capacity to militarily roll out injections of everyone you have the capacity to disable whoever you want but you also have the capacity to offer an uh, an antidote to a biological or other agent that an enemy might be spreading throughout your whole population. Okay, so it's 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 both uh, uh, an offensive weapon, but it's also a defensive weapon if you can get in there and inject everybody. And you you, you need injections because you don't you can't just use a natural spread because if something spreads easily, you won't be able to control it. It's going to spread to everyone. So you need the you need the military style injection. Okay, so. It is highly desired to develop the capability of doing this and to get everyone used to the idea that they're going to be injecting you whenever you want and on a regular basis, okay? Um, that is my idea of what the, the military motivation for this. Uh, and of course, they're among the, among the planners, uh, you can be an enemy of the system simply because there's too many of you large large populations are very threatening to to the elite because you can't control everything they're doing and everything there's you can't see everything they're doing you can't they they if 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 you have a high density then people are talking to each other they're organizing there's a social network you're not controlling it uh, so uh, high densities of people are are generally uh, threatening to authoritative systems. So you, you, you don't want um, the people that you don't easily indoctrinate or cannot control the working class or whoever, I don't know, uh, to, to uh, make, make a lot of each other. They reproduce, right? So reproduction is certainly a big part of it, uh, the control that you wanna have. Um, um, resilience to various things. Um, you know, you, you don't want people to be resilient to the assaults against them. You want them to be afraid and sickly. Um, so you want to be able to induce that whenever you want. Um, I, I see it as a, a military weapon. And I see mm. this, this was a test run at rolling out a military weapon, okay? Um, and establishing that they can do it and how to do it. And I think that Russia and China saw this and thought, we can't be left behind this is this is dangerous stuff what are they doing and they've got all these bio labs near our borders so we have to we have to think about this we have to be able to do the same thing we have to be able to vaccinate our people whenever whenever we whenever we want to whenever we can either to protect against the the biological agents that they're just gonna let loose and immunize their own people or 
or for whatever reasons, you know, we, we, we cannot be a competing system that does not also have that capability. So if the US has nuclear weapons, Russia has to develop them. It's that kind of thing, you know? Um, so I see it as a, the spread of military technology, the, the ability to vaccinate and the ability to uh, also make these uh, mRNA vaccines, molecularly design them, fabricate them, make them in the lab at will, um, uh, and, and test what you might be able to do with them and, and what effect they might have. I see it all as a, as a military operation and developing a, a military capability. That's what I think. And COVID itself, uh, the COVID measures and everything, I've argued on this show often, they were war measures. Everyone has to be identified. We have to know where you are. Um, you, 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 know, you must comply, you, you get locked in, there's a curfew, um, there's segregation, there's everything. It, it, it was an enormous war measures application in a time uh, when uh, you're at, actually you're at war, you're developing a war, the US is clearly thinking about attacking China, is already thinking about blockades around China. Um, that could become a hot war. They want to be able to apply war measures and not, and they don't want to tell their population that they're at war because people, people understand the word war and wouldn't want it. Uh, so they need to be able to apply war measures when they go to war that is not declared. And they are in a war that's not declared against China uh, with sanctions uh, preparing, uh, you know, there's a naval occupation around, around uh, China. Um, and there's huge fights about currency and, you know, that, that's the world we live in. We're, it's a geopolitical place and there's real battles that are preparing themselves. And the U.S. Pentagon has said, we're giving ourselves a decade to destroy China. They've been very clear about this. The budgets speak for themselves. They, they pour all their money into, uh, that naval blockade, potential blockade of China arming Taiwan and so on. And the war in Ukraine is, is a component of that. Mm. So they're at war. The, the, the U S system is at war. They need to be able to have war measures that they can Im impose because they don't want dom domestic resistance of any kind. Um, and, uh, they also wanted to develop this weaponized vaccine. That's that's my tentative answer, but it's not my directly my research area, right? What does the trajectory look like of all-cause mortality going forward? Um, none of this has really changed demographics that much. It, it, it's been, I guess you could qualify it as a kind of culling of the frail and elderly in some places uh and it 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 hasn't changed any nation's ability uh economic ability and so on okay or it hasn't caused uh political destabilization or anything like that so on the scale it's 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 nothing like what the government would like us to believe okay like in canada our crazy uh, public health officer in chief, uh, Teresa Tam, suggested that if they had not done all the lockdowns and masking and all the measures and the vaccines, that there would have been a, a, approximately 1 million extra deaths in Canada. It's 
completely absurd, right? So we, we wrote a paper just, just pointing out how absurd that was and the fact that the all-cause mortality hasn't budged in Canada. And we, we showed on the scale what her extra million deaths would look like and the fact that historically it just hasn't changed. There, there's little blips and peaks due to vaccine rollouts and things like that that you can see, but those are small effects on the overall mortality, okay? So you have to keep all this in perspective. I, I, I think that what is far more damaging and what we should worry about way more than actually them killing us off is the them destroying the the social order, destroying democracy, de, marching us directly towards a totalitarian uh, state. That's what they're doing. Uh, the the um, the courts have have been corrupted to a very high degree. Um, the there's there's no institutional pushback. We're 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 in an advanced state of of fascism, basically where the government and, and corporate and banking elites basically make make up reality and make the rules and disadvantage the classes, the social classes that are bothersome. And the social classes that are bothersome are the working class because they're more independent thinking than the professional classes. And so you don't want them to have economic resources. You don't want them to have power. You don't want farmers locally, domestically to have power food production power. Uh, you want to be able to import your food from wherever and give it to them at, at will. You want to control it. You don't want domestic control of resources and of organizing and of social media. And you don't want, you don't want democracy, basically. You don't want sovereignty and you don't want democracy. Those things have to be attacked. And they are very successfully attacking those, those, uh, Building blocks of stable societies are being completely demolished under their under their new system. Um, so the parasitic elites have had way too much influence for too long mm. a time. The 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 solid institutions that are that are truly patriotic and that really want stability of the culture, the nation, uh, in places like the U.S. and Canada have been dissolved away or are being dissolved away quickly. Whereas thankfully in uh, Russia and China, they're maintained. There is, there is a, an important established institutional continuity that really wants stability, that thinks in terms of uh, care of the family, care of workers, uh, and that really wants a kind of stability because it knows that that its economic strength relies on that, because it does not it does not print the dollar. It cannot just exploit directly, and and overtly exploit entire continents to to fund a huge military so that it can intimidate everyone. China and Russia don't want to go that route, at least not now in history, and um, so they have to have a fair, a stabilized uh, uh, social society. And um, that's what they work on. And what about vaccine deaths? Uh, if we're sitting on around 13 million, do you think that's still going to accelerate upwards or is that going to level out? Well, it, it's, it, it's leveling out because they're not vaccinating as much anymore, right? Mm. Um, each, each successive booster, uh, there's less and less of them. Um, so... I think they've done their experiment. It's 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 gone full course, and we'll have to wait and see what they do next. But for now, 
the mortality in 2023, 20, end of 2022 and 2023 is dying off. In, even in places where there was a high new regime of heightened mortality, it's coming back down. Okay. Uh, and the, vac- the vaccine um, distribution is also c- coming down. So it's leveling off. Um, now, there are uh, theoretical immunologists who will tell you that the damage from injecting us all uh, is long-term and will cause changes in our bodies such that there will be more diseases of various types, including cancer and so on, uh, and susceptibility to other pathogens that will be heightened. Um, I've heard many immunologists give talks about that and so on. Uh, it's not my area. I'm not seeing evidence for that yet in the all-cause mortality, um, but I'm going to be, I'm going to continue monitoring it. I'm going to look for those things, you know, um, but I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it as, as a very important thing right now. I mean, it's important to think about. It's important to be concerned about. Um, and, you know, it, it, it might be, these things might be visible by clinicians even if they're not visible in all-cause mortality. Because a clinician can say, you just died of this very rare disease that I've never seen before, and there's 10 of you in my hospital that have died of that, so this is unusual. But like 10 people is not going to show up in all-cause mortality, but the uh, uh, clinicians that have their eyes open uh, will see these rare, uh, relatively rare uh, conditions coming up as a result of uh, being made susceptible in your health due to the vaccine. They'll see it. The myocarditis is a really good example. It, it, it's been a huge impact and uh, MDs are seeing the, the consequences of it directly, you know. But Denis, you're just in denial. Vaccines are not harming anybody. <laughs> it's, it's all climate change. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yes. Well, you know, we, you and I did a whole, did a, did a whole interview on climate change, didn't we? And so you have a pretty good idea what I think of that. That is one of my areas of expertise. So um, <laughs> you don't want to go there now. You, you don't want to open that up now, but uh, that, that's just, I mean, that's, that's a clear sign that we're into an advanced state of totalitarianism <laughs> is that it is that people will just believe this crap. You just have to spew it out often enough and 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 just repeat it and repeat it you don't have to give actual reasons or reasoning mm. or logic or or you don't have to try to educate people you just spew it out and people will believe it it'll become part of their mantra and they'll it's what they'll chat about when they meet their neighbors on the street and so on they just gobble it up especially the professional class they just they just ask to know what the establishment is saying and that's what they're going to believe so that is a clear sign that we're in an advanced totalitarian state we've We've moved far, far away from the 50s and 60s when there was a lot of people actually thinking for themselves, actually trying to, you know, I grew up at a time where there were still scientists around who were skeptical of everything and only believed something if, if, if they felt it, 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 they could be convinced by the data, you know, and they actually looked at the data and tried to understand the data and how it was measured and what it meant and, and all this kind of stuff. I actually new people like that you know they existed you know, when, when i was when i was becoming when i was a graduate student and, and and a younger student i had high school teachers that were like that and nowadays you cannot find these people it's like it's like you're walking in a desert looking for an oasis you know like they, they just they virtually don't exist 
in the universities and institutions in the government they, those people are not around nobody's nobody has this idea that as an individual you're supposed to ascertain the nature of reality and figure it out for yourself and use your criteria that you develop and that should be the basis of your belief in terms of what's happening in the world uh nobody has that notion anymore it's gone mm. so the fact that it's gone is a very clear sign that we're in an advanced state of of uh, totalitarianism those of you who know that you are thinking for yourself that you have independent thought that you can judge the arguments for yourself and that you're looking for them and you can spot errors and incompleteness and uh fat fa fatal flaws in what people are telling you uh know that you're right know that you're absolutely right and you need to keep doing that and you need to um help and reinforce the others that you can find who are also doing that and if you know that you've been injured hang on to that you're right you're right you have been injured by these vaccines for example uh if you have a sense that you've been violated you're probably right in the in this context with the with the with the way that the medical uh industry has 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 uh behaved there's a good salt a good chance you've been assaulted so you need to believe that you need to believe in yourself and just um think of ways to be as uh resistant and aggressive as you can against this madness uh and i don't mean crazy aggressive i mean try to be effective try to figure out how can i push back and where can i be most effective where does the system have the strongest tie on me that that that's where i can push back and say no no i'm not going to do that i mean you know if you're saying my children will not be vaccinated i support you 100% If you're saying I don't believe the medical establishment, I'm not going to just take the the MD's recommendations. I'm going to think this out for myself. It's so easy nowadays to do some research. I mean, they they ridicule us because because we do Google searches and things like that. They're wrong. There's a you you can develop the capacity to discern and to decide for yourself what is believable and what isn't. And even if you're wrong and you believe something that wasn't quite right for a while it doesn't matter it's you're you're better off thinking for yourself than just gobbling what they're sending your way that's how i would conclude an encouragement to free thinkers okay we've spoken about some of your papers how can i uh find them and read them and so on there are two places one is my own website denironco.ca and you go into the covid section or you can go into the videos section where i've got more than 70 interviews including the ones that we've done together uh or the other the second place is a new organization a non-profit organization that i've created uh with a board of uh directors and so on and it's called correlation it's correlation-canada.org is the website correlation-canada.org and you go to the research section on that and it has all these recent papers that we've been talking about it's a very spiffy nice website and um we're trying to have um independently funded research where we can actually uh, fund some young researchers and collaborators and so on and it's just growing it's in the growing stage now and we're we're getting some generous help 
not not generous in the sense that we, we would really like to have really strong stability and so on, but we're really happy that people have responded positively up till now. And of course, you're on Twitter. In fact, you and I follow each other. Yes, gladly. We <laughs> gladly follow each other. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter is a great resource. Um, I always feel manipulated when I'm there by by Twitter. <laughs> I, I'm, I always feel manipulated. You know, they're not showing my stuff to to all the people I'd like them to see it, and they're not showing me stuff that I think I would like to see. And they're, they're just, just I just feel it. You know, they prevent me from sending personal messages of certain things to people, st stuff like that. So I do feel manipulated, but I'm happy that it exists. I'm happy that it's there. I've, I've actually it's helped me in my research. I will mm. often on Twitter say, I'm looking for something about this. Does anyone know? And in the Twitter sphere, there's like two or three people who make fantastic suggestions of things I never would have found or not, I wouldn't have found quickly, you know? So I use it even in my research. What do you make of Elon? I don't really have an opinion about him. You know, uh, look, 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 look. look. Let me put it this way. No wealthy elite or corporation can exist and operate without the approval of the CIA and the military intelligence complex, period. That's the way it is. Okay. So he plays a role within that. And that's all there is to it. Nothing else matters. That's the, that's the first level. You have to know that the CIA and the military intelligence complex of the United States controls all the Western high-level media, all the uh, educational institutions, all the journalists, all, I say all, I mean virtually all, right? And that includes all of the uh, billionaires uh, that are visible and that we know. Uh, they, they are basically playing a role in all of this and they're useful they're useful for many reasons. Corporations are useful to exploit Latin America and Africa because the US itself would not constitutionally be allowed to do that. The same is true of Canada with its uh, mining corporations and so on. So all of these entities are, are under the umbrella of this empire. Well, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> Denis Ranku, thank you for joining me in the trenches. It was my pleasure. I was really happy to be here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.